0: Hey guys, we're going to get right into the show in just a second, but recently I've been making a lot of awesome new podcast friends, and I wanted to share some of them with you. So if you're enjoying this podcast, chances are you listen to other podcasts, so I want to introduce you to some awesome podcasts that you definitely need to check out.
1: Hey there, true crime friends. It's Melanie Peterson, the host of Mask of Sanity. Join me as I take you through the cases of some of the world's most notorious killers and the brave men and women who risked it all to capture them. You can find Mask of Sanity wherever you listen to podcasts and hear all about the calculated madness of some of the world's most brutal killers who hid behind the Mask of Sanity. You won't want to miss this. Until next time, stay safe, friends.
0: And we're back here with part two of the Stockbroker's Clerk. Hope you guys enjoyed that cliffhanger. Just cannot believe how much the podcast is growing, and that is 100% thanks to you just telling your friends and neighbors about the podcast and spreading the word. It is crazy. We are in... Uh, I, didn't, I don't remember the last count, but it's well over 50, probably closer to 75 different countries throughout the world, so if you are an international listener, just want to say thank you so much for listening, and um, yeah, stay tuned until afterwards, I've got a little bit of a, a behind-the-scenes story for you on this episode, so <laughs> thanks for listening today, guys, and without further ado, here is the conclusion of the Stockbroker's Clerk.
1: All Sunday, I was kept hard at work, and yet by Monday, I'd only got so far as H., I went round to my employer, found him in the same dismantled kind of room, and was told to keep at it until Wednesday, and then come again. On Wednesday, it was still unfinished, so I hammered away till Friday. That is yesterday. Then I brought it round to Mr. Harry Pinner. Thank you very much, said he. I fear that I underrated the difficulty of the task. This list will be of very material assistance to me. It took some time, said I. And now, said he, I want you to make a list of the furniture shops, for they all sell crockery. Very good. And you can come up tomorrow evening at seven and let me know how you are getting on. Don't overwork yourself. A couple of hours at Day's music hall in the evening would do you no harm after your labours. He laughed as he spoke, and I saw with a thrill that his second tooth upon the left hand side had been badly stuffed with gold. Sherlock Holmes rubbed his hands with delight, and I stared with astonishment at our client. You may well look surprised, doctor Watson, but it is this way? said he. "Well, I was speaking to the other chap in London, at the time that he laughed at my not-going to Mawson's. I happened to notice that his tooth was stuffed in this very identical fashion. The glint of the gold in each case caught my eye, you see. When I put that with the voice and figure being the same, the only things altered which might be changed by a razor or a wig, I could not doubt that it was the same man. Of course, you expect two brothers to be alike, but not that they should have the same tooth stuffed in the same way. He bowed me out and I found myself in the street, hardly knowing whether I was on my head or my heels. Back I went to my hotel, put my head in a basin of cold water and tried to think it out. Why had he sent me from London to Birmingham? Why had he got there before me? And why had he written a letter from himself to himself? It was altogether too much for me and I could make no sense of it. Then suddenly it struck me that what was dark to me might be very light to Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I had just time to get up to town by the night train to see him this morning, and to bring you both back with me to Birmingham. There was a pause after the stockbroker's clerk had concluded his surprising experience. Then Sherlock Holmes cocked his eye at me, leaning back on the cushions with a pleased and yet critical face, like a connoisseur who had just taken his first sip of a Comet vintage. Rather fine, Watson, is it not? said he. There are points in it which please me. I think that you will agree with me that an interview with Mr. Arthur Harry Pinner in the temporary offices of the franco minden Hardware Company Limited would be a rather interesting experience for both of us. "'But how can we do it?' I asked. "'Oh, easily enough,' said Hall Pycroft cheerily. "'You were two friends of mine who are in want of a billy, and what could be more natural than that I should bring you both round to the managing director?' "'Quite so, of course,' said Holmes. "'I should like a look at the gentleman, and see if I can make anything of his little game. "'What qualities have you, my friend, which would make your services so valuable? "'Or is it possible that—' "'He began biting his nails, and staring blankly out of the window, "'and we hardly drew another word from him until we were in New Street. "'At seven o'clock that evening we were walking, the three of us, "'down Corporation Street to the company's offices.' "'It is no use our being at all before our time,' said the clients. "'He only comes there to see me, apparently, for the place is deserted up to the very hour he arrives.' "'That is suggestive,' remarked Holmes. "'Why, Joe, I told you so!' cried the clerk. "'That's he walking ahead of us there!' He pointed to a smallish, dark, well-dressed man who was bustling along the other side of the road, as we watched him, he looked across at a boy who was bowling out the latest edition of the evening paper, and, running over among the cabs and buses, he bought one from him. Then, clutching it in his hand, he vanished through a doorway. "'There he goes!' cried Hall Pycroft. "'There are the company's offices into which he is gone. Come with me, and we'll fix it up easily as possible.' Following his lead, we ascended five stories until we found ourselves outside a half-open door, at which our client tapped. A voice within bade us enter, and we entered a bare, unfurnished room, such as Hall Pycroft had described. At the signing-table sat the man whom we had seen in the street, with his evening paper spread out in front of him, and as he looked up at us, it seemed to me that I had never looked upon a face which bore such marks of grief, and of something beyond grief, of a horror such as comes to few men in a lifetime. His brow glistened with perspiration, his cheeks were of the dull, dead white of a fish's belly— and his eyes were wild and staring. He looked at his clerk as though he failed to recognize him, and I could see by the astonishment depicted upon our conductor's face that this was by no means the usual appearance of his employer. "'You look ill, Mr. Pinner!' he exclaimed. "'Yes, I am not very well,' answered the other, making obvious efforts to pull himself together and licking his dry lips before he spoke. "'Who are these gentlemen whom you have brought with you?' "'One is Mr. Harris, of Bermondsey, and the other is Mr. Price, of this town,' said our clerk glibly. "'They are friends of mine and gentlemen of experience, but they have been out of of place for some little time, "'and they hope that perhaps you might find an opening for them in the company's employment.' "'Very possibly, very possibly,' cried Mr. Pinner with a ghastly smile. "'Yes, I have no doubt that we should be able to do something for you. Uh, "'What is your particular line, Mr. Harris?' I am an accountant, said Hams. Ah oh, yes, we shall sure want something of the sort. And you, Mr. Price? A clerk, said I. I have every hope that the company may accommodate you. I will let you know about it as soon as we come to any conclusion, and now I beg that you will go. For God's sake, leave me to myself. These last words were shot out of him, as though the constraint which he was evidently setting upon himself had suddenly and utterly burst asunder. Holmes and I glanced at each other, and Hall Pycroft took a step towards the table. "'You forget, Mr. Pinner, that I am here by appointment to receive some directions from you?' said he. "'Certainly, Mr. Pycroft, uh, certainly.' The other resumed in a calmer tone. "'You may wait here a moment, and there is no reason why your friends should not wait with you. I will be entirely at your service in three minutes, if I might trespass upon your patience so far.' He rose with a very courteous air, and, bowing to us, he passed out through a door at the farther end of the room, which he closed behind him. "'What now?' whispered Holmes. "'Is he giving us the slip?' "'Impossible,' answered Pycroft. "'Why so?' "'That door leads into an inner room.' "'There is no exit?' "'None.' "'Is it furnished?' It was empty yesterday. Then what on earth can he be doing? There is something which I don't understand in this matter. If ever a man was three parts mad with terror, that man's name is Pinner. What can have put the shivers on him? He suspects that we are detectives, I suggested. That's it, cried Pycroft. Holmes shook his head. He did not turn pale. He was pale when we entered the room, said he. "'It is just possible that—' "'His words were interrupted by a sharp rat-tat from the direction of the inner door. "'What the deuce is he knocking on his own door for?' cried the clerk. "'Again, and much louder, came the rat-tat-tat. "'We all gazed expectantly at the closed door. "'Glancing at Holmes, I saw his face turn rigid, "'and he leaned forward in intense excitement. "'Then suddenly came a low, gurgling, gargling sound, "'and a brisk drumming upon the woodwork.' Holmes sprang frantically across the room and pushed at the door. It was fastened on the inner side. Following his example, we threw ourselves upon it with all our weight. One hinge snapped, then the other, and down came the door with a crash. Rushing over it, we found ourselves in the inner room. It was empty. But it was only for a moment that we were at fault. At one corner, the corner nearest the room which we had left, there was a second door. Holmes sprang to it and pulled it open. A coat and waistcoat were lying on the floor, and from a hook behind the door, with his own braces round his neck, was hanging the managing director of the Franco Midland Hardware Company. His knees were drawn up, his head hung at a dreadful angle to his body, and the clatter of his heels against the door made the noise which had broken in upon our conversation. In an instant I caught him round the waist and held him up, while Holmes and Pycroft untied the elastic bands which had disappeared between the livid creases of his skin. Then we carried him into the other room, where he lay with a clay-coloured face, puffing his purple lips in and out with every breath, a dreadful wreck of all that he had been but five minutes before. "'What do you think of him, Watson?' asked Holmes. I stooped over him and examined him. His pulse was feeble and intermittent, but his breathing grew longer, and there was a little shivering of his eyelids, which showed a thin white slit of ball beneath. "'It has been touch and go with him,' said I. But he'll live now. Just open that window and hand me the water-carafe. I undid his collar, poured the cold water over his face, and raised and sank his arms until he drew a long, natural breath. It's only a question of time now, said I, as I turned away from him. Holmes stood by the table, with his hands deep in his trouser pockets, and his chin upon his breast. I suppose we ought to call the police in now, said he. And yet I confess that I'd like to give them a complete case when they come. It's a blessed mystery to me, cried Pycroft, scratching his head. What have they wanted to bring me all the way up here for, and then? <laughs> all that is clear enough, said Holmes impatiently. It is this last sudden move. You understand the rest, then? I think that it is fairly obvious. What do you say, Watson? I shrugged my shoulders. I must confess that I am out of my depths, said I. Oh, surely, if you consider the events at first, they can only point to one conclusion. What do you make of them? Well, the whole thing hinges upon two points. The first is the making of Pycroft write a declaration, by which he entered the service of this preposterous company. Do you not see how very suggestive that is? I am afraid I miss the point. Well, why did they want him to do it? Not as a business matter, for these arrangements are usually verbal, and there was no earthly business reason why this should be an exception. Don't you see, my young friends, that they were very anxious to obtain a specimen of your handwriting, and had no other way of doing it? And why? Quite so. Why? When we answer that, we have made some progress with our little problem. Why? There can only be one adequate reason— Someone wanted to learn to imitate your writing, and had to procure a specimen of it first. And now, if we pass on to the second point, we find that each throws light upon the other. That point is the request made by Pinner that you should not resign your place, but should leave the manager of this important business in the full expectation that a Mr. Hall Pycroft, whom he had never seen, was about to enter the office upon the Monday morning. "'My God!' cried our client. "'What a blind beetle I have been!' "'Now you see the point about the handwriting. "'Suppose that someone turned up in your place "'who wrote a completely different hand from that which you had applied for the vacancy. "'Of course, the game would have been up. "'But in the interval the rogue had learned to imitate you, "'and his position was therefore secure, "'as I presume that nobody in the office had ever set eyes upon you. "'Not a soul!' groaned Hall Pycroft. "'Very good.' Of course, it was of the utmost importance to prevent you from thinking better of it, and also to keep you from coming into contact with anyone who might tell you that your double was at work in Marston's office. Therefore, they gave you a handsome advance on your salary, and ran you off to the Midlands, where they gave you enough work to do to prevent you going to London, where you might have burst their little game up. That is all plain enough. "'Why should this man pretend to be his own brother?' Well, that is pretty clear also. There are evidently only two of them in it. The other is impersonating you at the office. This one acted as your engager, and then found that he could not find you an employer without admitting a third person into his plot. That he was most unwilling to do. He changed his appearance as far as he could, and trusted that the likeness, which you could not fail to observe, would be put down to a family resemblance. But for the happy chance of the gold stuffing. Your suspicions would probably never have been aroused. Hall Pycroft shook his clenched hands in the air. Good Lord! he cried. Well, I have been fooled in this way, what has this other Hall Pycroft been doing at since? What shall we do, Mr. Holmes? Tell me what to do. We must wire to Mawson's. They shut at twelve on Saturdays. Never mind. There may be some doorkeeper or attendant. "'Oh, yes, they keep a permanent guard there on account of the value of the securities that they hold. "'I remember hearing it talked of in the sea.' "'Very good. We shall wire to him, and see all is well, and if a clerk of your name is working there. "'That is clear enough, but what is not so clear is why at sight of us "'one of the rogues should instantly walk out of the room and hang himself.' "'The paper!' croaked a voice behind us. "'The man was sitting up, blanched and ghastly, with returning reason in his eyes, and hands which rubbed nervously at the broad red band which still encircled his throat. "'The paper, of course!' yelled Holmes in a paroxysm of excitement. "'Idiot that I was! I thought so much of our visit, that the paper never entered my head for an instant. To be sure, the secret must be there!' He flattened it out upon the table, and a cry of triumph burst from his lips. "'Look at this, Watson,' he cried. It is a London paper, an early edition of the Evening Standard. Here is what we want. Look at the headlines. Crime in the city. Murder at Mawson and Williams. Gigantic attempted robbery. Capture of the criminal. Here, Watson. We are all equally anxious to hear it, so kindly read it aloud to us. It appeared from its position in the paper to have been the one event of importance in town, and the account of it ran in this way. A desperate attempt at robbery culminating in the death of one man and the capture of the criminal occurred this afternoon in the city for some time back Mawson and Williams the famous financial house have been the guardians of securities which amount in the aggregate to a sum of considerably over a million sterling so conscious was the manager of the responsibility which devolved upon him in consequence of the great interest at stake that safes of the very latest construction have been employed and an armed watchman had been left day and night in the building. It appears that last week a new clerk named Hall Pycroft was engaged by the firm. This person appears to have been none other than Beddington, the famous forger and cracksman, who, with his brother, had only recently emerged from a five-year spell of penal servitude. By some means, which are not yet clear, he succeeded in winning, under a false name, this official position in the office— which he utilised in order to obtain moulding of various locks, and a thorough knowledge of the position of the strong-room and the safes. It is customary at Mossons for the clerks to leave at midday on Saturday. Sergeant Tusson of the city police was somewhat surprised, therefore, to see a gentleman with a carpet-bag come down the steps at twenty minutes past one. His suspicion being aroused, the sergeant followed the man, and with the aid of Constable Pollock succeeded, after a most desperate resistance, in arresting him. It was once clear that a daring and gigantic robbery had been committed. Nearly a hundred thousand pounds' worth of American railway bonds, with a large amount of scrip in other mines and companies, was discovered in the bag. On examining the premises, the body of the unfortunate watchman was found doubled up and thrust into the largest of the safes, where it could not have been discovered until Monday morning had it not been for the prompt action of Sergeant Tusson. The man's skull had been shattered by a blow from a poker delivered from behind, there could be no doubt that Beddington had obtained entrance by pretending that he had left something behind him and, having murdered the watchman, rapidly rifled the large safe and then made off with his booty. His brother, who usually works with him, has not appeared in this job as far as at present can be ascertained, although the police are making energetic inquiries as to his whereabouts. Well, we may save the police some little trouble in that direction, said Holmes, glancing at the haggard figure huddled up by the window. Human nature is a strange mixture, Watson. You see that even a villain and murderer can inspire such affection that his brother turns to suicide when he learns that his neck is forfeited. However, we have no choice as to our action. The doctor and I will remain at guard. Mr. Pycroft, if you will have the kindness to step out for the police."
0: Alright guys don't forget to sign up for the Sherlock contest or not sign up but follow the instructions in the show notes or go to the blog or check out the social media. We've got all the instructions all over the place just make it easy for you to find and do so that you can sign up and get those uh, four awesome audiobooks as a package. It's going to help the podcast grow, and um, yeah, you might have noticed a new sponsor, which is just a a free podcast, so you really don't have any reason not to check them out, but the reason we're getting new sponsors, and that's helping me be able to just keep this on the air, is that you guys are sharing the podcast, so if you can uh, do it in the Sherlock competition, you'll get some free audiobooks, and more people will hear about the the podcast, so it's just a win-win-win all the way around, and I promise you, a little behind-the-scenes story. Um, Yeah, so... Doing accents is is fun. It's something I've done for most of my life, and I just I love it. Um, I have a lot of British listeners, actually, so shout out to you guys. And uh, you'll notice that um, as I do, well, I never try an Australian accent because for some reason that I just I can't can't do it. Um, but I can usually keep my my English accent pretty well. I've not gotten any complaints, so. That might change though after this episode. Um, if if somebody can find where I completely lost it, um, lost my Cockney accent there, um, that yeah, it was it was painful. For some reason, I kept going Scottish, and I don't know why. It took me. I had to stop and then come back the next day and try it again. And um, yeah, it was it was not good, not good at all. So so hopefully this next chapter we don't have another Cockney person with uh, a large amount of dialogue because it didn't didn't uh, didn't work very well this time but hopefully it was passable and you guys still enjoyed the story so yeah um like i said really big shout out to to the british listeners there for putting up with my attempts at uh uh, imitating your accents <clears throat> if you want to give me some tips some pointers i'd love to hear from you or if you just want to cry foul that's all right too so thanks guys for listening and don't forget to enter the contest and we'll talk to you next time When I was in school, I absolutely hated writing. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I came to understand the power of words. If you're a business owner, you understand that power too. A business blog, when done right, can drive sales, increase revenue, and get you more customers. But as a business owner, you probably don't have the time to do all that writing. Plus, if you're not a copywriter by trade, you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything. The good news is there's a simple solution. Check it out. I call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores. This checklist will allow you to write better, more effective articles that convert readers into buyers. It's full of easy to follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written, and best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert, this checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to invicta.enterprises/free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That’s invicta.enterprises/free checklist.